the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted on quite literally every platform you could think of. If there is a platform that you want a podcast that isn't currently there, let us know. Tell us. You can even text us. We want new platforms. 68683 is the number, and then uh, CG in the message body for Common Good, and then your thought, your question, your suggestion, your anecdote. We would love to interact with you there. And, Brian, mm-hmm. you uh, you shared this story um, that the NAACP calls recent black church fires domestic terrorism and some pastors now sleeping inside the sanctuaries. Talk to us a little bit about this story. Yeah, and, and I saw it on the Today Show, and um, it was a sad story. And it, it, there's a lot going into it. Like, what do we feel as pastors and as churches not in the South and who aren't African-American churches? What does it do to us? Is it kind of a ho-hum or is it... This is a heartbreak for these people. So basically, three churches uh, in kind of the same area in Louisiana, kind of, you know, 15 to 30 miles apart from each other, I think, uh, have been targeted clearly over the last week or two, uh, and they've been burned to the ground. Um, And these were uh, very historic churches. And this seems to happen, right? Like every couple of years, there's... um, you know, another story uh, of of churches being burnt. Like, this is a way to get at the culture, <laughs> to get mm-hmm. at people and to make a statement. I actually believe that they they may have arrested a guy or there's a suspect uh, just today, I believe. And I believe he has, he has, like, his dad is like a sheriff or something, which Thanks. is crazy. But it got me thinking. As I was watching on Today Show and you see these congregants just in tears, you hear these pastors just, you know, being stirring. And they're going, you know what? The, uh, I love one of the guy's lines. He said, uh, they may have burned down our building, but the church still exists. And I was like, yes, there we go. Uh, and, and as I watched it, it did challenge me because I thought to myself, man, like this feels like more than just a news story that I should be able to watch and then move on from. Like these are brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, Baptist church, other kind of churches. These are, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, against whom, as the NAACP called it, domestic terrorism has been targeted. And it feels like uh, it should burden me and break my heart just cards on the table more than it probably does. Maybe I'm just used to sad stories when watching the Today Show or something. But, you know, we've talked about this with a lot of things. But when there's distance, it's easy to not um, get too sad. But I know that if it were my church that were burned down, I would be devastated. And uh, so it challenged me to actually spend some time today praying for these people. And, you know, these are these are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I thought it'd be 
fun to talk about. Interesting to talk about, like, what should this do to us? What should this stir up in us? And should anything extra be stirred up in us because it's a church? Like, if this were a mosque, do we feel differently? I don't know. These are good questions I've got for you to wrestle with. <laughs> You're just going to lob them to me then? Yeah, gonna I, do. I did my spiel. Uh, I think um, a couple of things. One, your own church burning down is legitimately different. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's okay that you would feel, at least hypothetically, that you would respond differently. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think, and we've talked a little bit about this, so this is probably more my bent than my theological conviction, but I don't think we grieve well as a culture. And I don't think it's just because we're too busy. I think I probably mm-hmm. did believe that 10 years ago, though I always don't grieve because... Our schedules are packed too tight or we don't, you know, we're too easily distracted. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Um, the older I get, the more that I interact with tragedy, local, national, global tragedy, and kind of examine my own heart. Um, I'm trying to pay closer attention to why do I often want to move on from grief really quickly? Yeah. Or like you were saying, you know, read a story, kind of say, man, that's really, that's too bad. But then something else happens. And sometimes it's something else happens on the TV. Mm-hmm. Other times it's my kids climbed up on the table and I have to like go <laughs> deal with that. Right. So my life is more hectic now than it was 10 years ago. But, you know, we shared a couple of weeks ago how it was, it was after, it was after one of the shootings, which is even the fact that I'm yep. using that sentence is insane, but, uh, something pretty tragic had happened. And then a couple of days later, Pokemon Go was released and like at least my particular Facebook feed seemed to completely forget about this shooting. Interesting. And I remember saying something and I was trying to be even handed like, man, it makes me a little sad how quickly we can go from like grief and lament to Pokemon Go. And the comments were pretty divided. And some of them were some pretty, I think, wise friends who were like, sometimes distraction is the only way that we can actually yeah. like heal and cope. If we felt with the same gravity every tragedy locally domestically yes. and abroad, we would all just be crippled with heartache and fear all the time. And I thought, okay, well, that's okay. So that's a pretty good point. How do we even determine then what gets our attention, what gets our weight? Um, either way, I'm still not convinced that as a, as a Western people that we take time to grieve well. Mm. Uh, so often I think we run right to policy arguments and, um, and disagreements, you know, usually loudly, which Again, we're certainly entitled to, but I just I wonder what would happen if we would all collectively together say, hey, regardless which side of the aisle you're on on this one, I think we all need to weep a little bit mm. that that life was lost or um, that damage was done, whatever it is, that grief and sorrow is one of the strange unifying things of humanity. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes our lack of ability to do that is part of what drives a, a wider and wider wedge between us. Yeah. And it is um, one of the. Uh, inspiring things I said, like on the Today Show, to hear these pastors talk and be like, you know, the church exists, like they were just defiant. Uh, and this is the, the sad part is, like, not just the church, these are three uh, churches that are all over a hundred years old that, in this community that were burned down. Uh, to hear their defiance was really um, inspiring to me. And then you read in this article, uh, kind of a follow up. Some of these pastors are sleeping in their churches. Some of the other pastors whose churches haven't been burned down, right? They're sleeping in their churches to be like, if you're going to come get us, you're going to need to come over me. Hmm. And I was like, man, that's kind of like that's like Hollywood. Like, like, yeah, man, I'm 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 <laughs> going to protect my people and protect my building. And I was just challenged by this. Like, you know, uh, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, and. I think you you speak really well. You've you've helped me understand really well as to like, yeah, we don't mourn well, but at the same time, we can't be overwhelmed all the time. I think it's good. Um, I do think that we are so 
inundated by information uh, that we hear about types of these types of stories all the time. Same with you going like, which shooting was it? Like, right. Yeah, you know, when it comes to shootings, I remember being in college when Columbine happened. Yep. And Columbine's smaller than some of the shootings that have since happened, a lot of the shootings that have since happened. But do you remember that was like wall-to-wall coverage for weeks, uh-huh. uh, rightfully so. But if it happened now, it would be like 24 hours, 48 hours. Right. Uh, so it's so much information, it becomes hard to process. But I do want to leave us on this segment with, let's pray for these people. Uh-huh. These three churches have been burned. There are yes. congregations that are just heartbroken over this. And, you know, be looking for ways that you can help them. You know, maybe you'll see things pop up about donations. But at the very least, even though we are, you know, a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred miles away or whatever, uh, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be like, hey, I'm going to hold up these people. In the very least, I'm going to hold them up in prayer. And uh, and just, you know, pray for them that God would give them strength and, and look uh, forward to the stories of them rebuilding. Yeah, maybe even more deeply than that, pray and work towards an end to racism. That's good. Uh, I think so much. It seems pretty unmistakable that many of these fires are very, very racially driven. No we doubt. were talking even yesterday about some of the privilege that... Um, is much more subtle than someone screaming at a basketball game. It's the kind of stuff that's easily overlooked and recognizing that uh, we all have, it doesn't have to be our fault to be our responsibility. Like it is one thing. I think you're absolutely right to pray for these families and victims and to also then say this grief leads me to greater action, to greater awareness, to take steps in the right direction, to end systemic racism uh, in any way that we can, which again feels like one of those things that, is overwhelming to think about, but we can't let that overwhelm us yeah. because that, that will keep us inactive. Yep. And yep. I think it's really, really important for us to continue to move forward. Yep. Well, coming up next, Chris Davis is once again in the record books for the wrong reason. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. And the show is also podcasted for your podcasting enjoyment. And as I mentioned earlier, Chris Davis is once again in the record books, but for the wrong reasons. Tell us a little bit about the story. It's an unbelievable story, and uh, it probably will be a window into your own personality type because you're either going to find this story funny or heartbreaking. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) So Chris Davis, uh, let me give you the background. He is the first baseman of the Baltimore Orioles. Baltimore Orioles are terrible, but a couple (laughs) years ago when they weren't, uh, in 2016, Chris Davis was coming off uh, leading the major league in home runs. I believe he had a season where he hit 52, I believe. Something Another like season that, yeah. in the 40s. This guy is a prolific home run hitter. Always kind of a high strikeout guy, high homer guy, but his average was pretty good. Like, he was a really good ball player. And after the uh, 2016 season, Davis re-signed with the Orioles for seven years for $161 million. So a legitimate, huge contract. Like, he had made it. Uh, so Davis, uh, you know, he is going to be their first baseman for the next seven years. Uh, and almost the moment that he signed his contract, Davis's career has gone off the edge. Uh, he has not hit more than 30 home runs in a season since then. Wow. Uh, he has not hit above 221. Uh, and now it is just getting worse and worse and worse. So here's where we are. He ended the end of last season. He ended with, say, 10 or 15 straight um, his last 10 or 15 at-bats without getting a hit. So he's ended the year like 0 for 10, 0 for 15. Chris Davis has not yet gotten a hit this year in the new season. Chris Davis, as of last night, he flew out to center field, and uh, he is now 0 for his last 
57. So he's 0 for his last 57 since last September. He's only reached a base eight times over that stretch thanks to six walks, a hit-by-pitch, and a fielder's choice. And so the Orioles are in a weird spot, right? We're paying this guy all this money. We don't have many good players, so we have to keep playing him. Uh, and he, he, they keep putting him in there, uh, and he's broken this record for futility, as you kind of teased out there. And in, it's like a, it's become like watching a car wreck, right? People are tuning in to watch him bat, not like because they think something good's going to happen. It's like why we slow down when we've seen an accident on the side of the road. Like what is going to happen to this guy? And uh, I think what complicates this is that contract. Seven years, $161 million, four more years left on it. I don't, I'm not a good math guy, but what, $25 <laughs> million a year or so, $23 million a year? And so here's the interesting conversation. Besides either feeling bad for the guy or thinking it's funny, whichever, you know, if you think it's funny, you're a cruel person, but <laughs> each their own. Here's my question. Uh, if you were Chris Davis, would having that amount of money in your contract while you're suffering through this futility, would that be an extra burden? Or would you go home at night and be like, well, at least I'm making $23 million a year. And I can tell you right now it would be an extra burden. Okay, talk to me about that. I think, uh, I mean, for me, you know, a lot of times people will say, wow, I'm still making millions of dollars. Um, and again, there's there's good research to suggest it's a little bit uh, more difficult for me to say where I sit now. But, like, we think of that figure as unattainable, like, holy cow, mm-hmm. I imagine I'd be so happy. But, you know, the brain science is pretty clear that, yeah, we think that. And then when you make the amount and your brain always wants more, it always wants yep. the next bracket. So that aside, I don't think that's necessarily bringing him the satisfaction that you and I think that it is yep. simply because we're not millionaires. Uh, at least I'm not. You might be. You're dressed, not yet. You're dressed very nice today. If by we the can way. keep this radio show rolling, we might get there. But I doubt yet. that very, very, very much. We'll talk, <laughs> Wait, we'll talk not, after the segment. There's not that kind of money in any radio? Oh, my Come goodness. <laughs> All right. But I think uh, knowing that, I also know that for me, um, the burden of not – not only not doing well at the thing that I'm being paid to do, right. but also like letting my team down. Yes. You know, that is it, at its unhealthiest. That's very, you know, people pleasing. But even when it's healthy, like there's a, I have a, a strong sense of like team. And I really want to like, I want to, I want us sure. to succeed together. And that constant reminder of, of uh, not only letting myself down, but probably mm-hmm. my family down and my team down and my coaches down. Yeah. And my, you know, that, that would be, again, I'd be very grateful for the day. I'm not <laughs> yes. saying I'd be ungrateful, um, but I, I think it would be more of a burden than uh, soothing for me personally. How about you? It would be like a big target on your back too. You know yeah, why right. you're such a big story. Oh, for fifty-seven is one thing, but oh, for fifty-seven while making twenty-three million dollars a year, right. that has to make the booing louder. That has to right. make the taunting louder. If it was over fifty-seven, like hey, we're only paying this guy six bucks. People, yeah, are like, oh, that's fine. Or he's a young guy called up from the minors, try, like he's just overwhelmed. This guy was an all-star, yeah. And so I would have to think that when he goes to bed at night or wakes up in the morning, I don't know Chris Davis from Adam, right? But you would have to think that that there's a high level of embarrassment too, of just like. It's like you and I, uh, if I can make you the connection this way, we're both pastors. It's like if we got up on Sunday morning and just couldn't talk anymore. Mm. <laughs> and we're just like mumbling and like just couldn't get words out. Like something you have always been really good at. Chris Davis has always, I'm sure, Little League, high school ball. Right, that's a good point. He is always the best at this huh. compared to anybody else he's been around. And now he can't do it anymore. And, you know, at, all these point. coaches are probably giving him pointers. And so – 
I heard a guy talking on the radio about this the other day. And he's like, I'd like to struggle for that much money. And you're like, I, I'm with you, mm-hmm. man. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think you, anybody, everybody has pride in what they do. Ultimately, people don't do what they do for the money. Right. People do what they do out of pride. And this guy's got pride and he doesn't want to strike out or make outs all the time. And so I, I would think it's more of a burden, like you said, like I want to live up to this contract, and, and the more you're probably pressing, the worse you're playing. I, I honestly think it's why we find stories about people who lose whatever their original ability was to discover a new version of themselves so Ooh. inspiring, particularly in athletes who are you know injured during play, yep. and then they discover that they're, they have a love for painting or yeah. a love for developing. Like I had a buddy in college actually who his entire life, his name's Dan Lugo, brilliant songwriter, brilliant worship pastor. Uh, his whole life was like, I'm going to be a worship pastor. I'm going to lead music in front yeah. of churches. And then uh, senior year or the first year after he graduated, he had, he had some vocal nodes that left him incapable of singing. Stop. And he was like, and never can't get it back. That's the thing I do. That's wow. what, that's what's going to make me hireable. And it was because of that that it actually launched him into discovering how much he loved coaching and raising up other leaders. Now he has his voice back now. He does. Okay. Yeah. It, it took a while though, and I remember talking with him and seeing the fear in his eyes. Like this is the this is the one thing. Much like what you were saying with Little League, he's like my whole life I've been the singer. I'm yes. that guy, and it just disappeared. That that capacity went away and him having to like rediscover himself and all the stuff that we, you know, you bring up all the time about who, who am I if I don't have this thing? Yes. It was pulling back all these layers of insecurity and how many eggs in this one basket he had put, which is funny to say because he was still dedicating himself to church work, yep. but it was like, I am a singer in this context. Yeah. And he learned this whole other skill set of like raising up people and pouring into people and having to write, you mm. know, like on a computer or with his hand when he couldn't actually sing or speak. And I, his his story was always really inspiring to me, and then God restored his voice, yeah. and now I think he's 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 ten more times the leader he ever would have been had he not gone through that. That's crazy. How many times? I feel like every show we go, it kind of comes back to your identity, right? Like, you know, your guy, your guy, your friend there, his identity in some ways was wrapped up in his voice and his singing. Chris Davis's identity is he can always hit a baseball a long way. Yeah, right. And what happens when you can't do those things anymore? And there's also a message in here, the Chris Davis story about money, right? Uh-huh. The Bible makes a lot of points about money not being what brings us happiness. And I would just have to think, hopefully Chris Davis has some contentment in his life and has his priorities, you know, still as a loving family or whatever. But I would doubt that the money is bringing him contentment. If anything, it's bringing him more pressure. And I think, you know, it's another story, quite frankly, where the Bible proves out to be true, that money is not actually all that there is and the ultimate source of joy. Yeah, and I think if you're listening and you're feeling more like Chris Davis than not, you feel like there's a target on your back or that you just can't do anything right, please, please know you are more than the sum of your accomplishments. You are more valuable than what you can create or what you can develop. Your identity is not something that you achieve. It's received freely in Jesus. Great, and like, I, that's something I need to preach to myself day in and day out. And hopefully that encourages somebody else that regardless of how well you are or aren't doing in your relationships or in your career, your value is fully present no yes. matter what. And I think that's a really, really important thing to keep in mind. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good with Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show about hopefully making space for conversation and dialogue for things that sometimes is kind of murky, kind of gray, doesn't yeah. have easy answers. And sometimes at the end of nine minutes or ten minutes, I feel like, oh, I have more, I have more questions about that 
topic yeah. or that conversation than I did to begin with, which uh, maybe you can relate. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, you can text us at 68683. And then in your message body, type CG for Common Good, uh, followed by your message, your thought, whatever you have to share with us. Yeah. And maybe it's suggestions for future segments. We would love to hear from you. If it's a topic that you'd love for us to tackle, uh, we would love to consider that as well. But this, uh, this article that I want to talk about is actually a pretty hefty article from the American conservative. It's, uh, it's, it simply says this, Pete uh, Buttigieg and the religious left, and it's an interview between uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Chuck Todd um, about a lot of topics, about a lot of things. And there's some things, Brian, I'm going to assume uh, you're going to gravitate toward more than others. Um, mm-hmm. But just in general, what was, what was the whole point of this interview, and uh, what, are some, what are some talking points coming out of it that we can uh, wrestle with a little bit? I think one of the points is that, that uh, Buttigieg is taking an interesting tact. He was uh, polling, by the way, only a couple months ago at 0% in Iowa. Hmm. He was polling, and he is now polling at 11%. Wow. And so this guy is a bit of a force to be reckoned with at the moment, and I think people are trying to figure out what to do with him because he is a progressive Democrat. He is the mayor of South Bend. He is married to a man. He is, he is, um, uh, he is pro-choice, but yet he talks un- unashamedly about his religion, and particularly he's a practicing Episcopalian. Uh, and so this has made him a lightning rod from the right, right? Like, how can you say that you know you're going to run a little bit on your religion? Oh, and also he has gone all in. On two people, not to be surprising in this. He's gone in on the Christianity of Donald Trump, gone so far as to call him not a Christian. And he has gone in on the um, uh, stances of Mike Pence, who interestingly, right, he's the uh, Buttigieg is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and Pence was the governor of Indiana. Uh, and Pence shot back, I believe, just today or yesterday, basically going, uh, he knows he knows me better than that. But uh, Buttigieg has used Pence's last um, comments about homosexuality and gay marriage uh, as kind of uh, a lightning rod to get people to rally around him. And basically, he famously said to Pence the other day, uh, if you have a problem with my marriage, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the one who created me. Huh. And so it's as you could see, you asked for talking points. This is kind of the stew that is going around Pete Buttigieg right now. And I think I think he's going to gain traction, man, and it's going to bring up some really interesting uh, dilemmas and conversations. Now, at a really high level, uh, you and I have already talked about this in the past, but the whole like who's more religious than the other guy uh, going on right here, Buttigieg towards Trump. Yeah, Trump hasn't reengaged, but I'm going to think that he's going to at some point here. I think there's a tweet with Buttigieg coming at some point here. <laughs> Does President Trump have a Twitter account? Is last he... I heard. Oh. Last I heard. I wonder what the nickname's going to be. But, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it is uh, it is just interesting because beyond the politics of it, man, it is this uh, who's more Christian than the other guy. Yeah. Uh, and therefore – we should vote for that person I find really uncomfortable and uh, inappropriate. Why Why do you think that way? Why do you feel that it's inappropriate? Uh, I am, A, not looking to um, – I am not looking to elect a pastor. Okay. So and you're not so, necessarily looking to elect the most Christian person necessarily. Correct. I am. It do, Now, don't hear that for me to say that 
how people live doesn't affect how oh, I yeah. vote. I don't it hear that does at all. because I do believe our leaders are still um, representatives of the country and they are, uh, I want my representatives to live and act a certain way. Um, but I'm not looking to, I'm not looking to elect the pastor in chief. Hmm. And so for me, it rings a little bit of hollow. It rings, it rings a little bit of pandering like, Oh, look, I go to church three times a week. Look, I do this. Look, because it also rings hollow because am I going to get myself in trouble here? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't think Donald Trump's a great example of a Christian. I'm not saying he's a Christian or not, but if you were asking me to elect the person whose life most uh, lines up with my values and my faith, Donald Trump probably wouldn't have won the last election. <laughs> and does that bother me? Yes, it does. But um, it, it's, it seems to have not have bothered a lot of people who voted for him. Uh, does Pete Buttigieg, 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 I had it good before, but Buttigieg? It's a tough one. Uh, would I vote or not vote for him based on whether he was able to convince me of the state of his faith? Probably not. I'm going to vote on uh, their policy, their vision for the country, um, and and lifestyle is going to be part of that. And so uh, it feels like pandering when it's like, I'm more religious than you. No, I'm more religious than you. No, that guy who's – and once everyone starts cloaking themselves in trying to pander to the evangelicals or pander to the Catholics or whatever, it just gets a little bit absurd because then everybody starts tearing their lives apart, and, uh, and it just gets weird. And so I, I'm – I uh, the 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 who can be more religious than the next guy when running for president always strikes me as a bit odd, but I also know it's effective. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because the whole who's more Christian thing feels a little Pharisaic, right? Mm -hmm. Again, not apples to apples. Yep. There seems to be some pretty explicit instruction that hey, when you fast, uh, don't make your face look all sickly and let, so that everyone knows you're fasting. Yep. This seems akin to that a little bit. Now I get that. Part of that's a marketing scheme. Part of that is to get votes. Part of that, I think some would say, regardless of which side of the, the argument you're on, like, oh, well, trying to sell yourself as the most Christian is a way to get votes. And if you get the votes, then you get the power. And then that justifies the ends, justify the means, because, well, once once we have this office, then we can make real change. So if I get there through, like, mildly slimy means, then... What, what's the harm? And I, I do think it would be a much different discussion if uh, Mayor Pete here – see, I just ignored his last name altogether. Buttigieg. Mayor Pete uh, was pro-life. Yes. I would be really curious to hear from our listeners even if – okay, so let, let's say it was just the fact that he is a married gay man, mm. but in every other conservative value, um, you were aligned. Yep. What, what would that do to your voting pattern or inclination um, I would love to know what would that do for your voting pattern or inclination. Do you, do you want to know my honest answer? I really do. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, honestly, and I, hopefully people are good with that. Hopefully people are good with that. Sometimes you and I get behind the microphone. And yeah. in, the, in the course of conversate, conversating, talking about it, are wrestling ourselves. Yeah. Uh, because for me, the number one dot disqualifier and the reason I would never vote for this guy is his unashamed, what I would call – uh, he's out there pro pro choice, and I, that's a uh, that's a hill to die on for me. Not hmm. the only hill to die on. But You're that not is a single a, issue voter. I, I am that. not, but that, that is a policy issue that for me is really high up on the list. Um, what do you think of his his statement that about it, it being a moral issue that you can't legislate morality? Then I think it's a cop out. I think we legislate morality, hmm. and when it comes to dying, killing kids, I think that 
yes, we can't. The only way to get at it is largely. Is, the, is there other things that we could be doing as a society? Is the answer just laws? No. But we, we legislate uh, morality all the time. We really do. <laughs> and so that's just a cop-out. And I think that's what these a lot of the pro-choice people are doing. They're trying to do dances so that they don't get cornered. And I get that. But, um, you know, the, the question for me as a, as a married gay man, quite frankly, is is he going – what is that – what – what policies is that going to cause him to push really hard? And huh. I'd have to weigh that. Okay. Um, but this is uncharted territory, not surprising territory for our country the way it's been going, but it's uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, you know, is it hard for me to vote for a married gay guy? Probably. Is it is it hard for me to vote for a guy that gave hush money to porn stars? Hey, Probably. Oh. Yeah. Like, let's not let's not call one virtuous and one not. Let's. Let's just kind of hold them up on a scale, and, and I think you've got to take the totality of the candidate and make your own decision based on on the things that's important to you. Yeah, and this is sort of an aside, but I think there are plenty of people that think there's no such thing as a progressive Christian, and yep. uh, maybe that's a whole other segment because I, I don't I, that to me is a different prog- problematic conclusion. They're like, oh, if you're progressive, you couldn't really love Jesus. You couldn't really. Right. I think you've said this before. Jesus is both far more conservative and far more progressive than I think any of us really Agreed. realize. And so uh, just because this segment is done doesn't text mean us. that we, we still can't interact <laughs> with you. So yeah, you can text us 68683 and then in the message body type CG for common good. And then your thought, your question, your insight. Find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. We'd love to hear from you. Read the article. Interact with that. What do you think? What are you wrestling with? What's not clear? And uh, we would love to get some of your insight and perspective on that. Well, coming up next, uh, a lot of people, churches in particular, love to talk about and implement personality tests. And I think at the top of the deck right now is Enneagram. So we're going to talk about that a little bit coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find us at 1160hope.com. Also, Brian, is our show podcasted? Do you know? It is absolutely podcasted everywhere where you can find podcasts. Not just one or two platforms? Every platform you can go to the common good. But here's what we want people to do. (laughs) Don't just go to the common good. Don't just subscribe to it. What do we want them to do? I don't know. Rate us. Review us. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate us again, review us again. Compliment Brian's voice, <laughs> tell him he looks nice. It, in, and I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I do know that it does help us that as we get not just subscribers but reviews, preferably good reviews, and uh, that does actually help in some way. It allows people to find us easier. So that's true. Uh, as much as we joke about, I just like <laughs> words of affirmation. It does actually help. Uh, good reviews actually and subscriptions do help it become kind of more top of the list where people will find us and yep. hopefully it'll continue to grow. Well, so unless you've been uh, living in a cave the last couple of decades, you've probably heard of some or multiple personality tests and profiles, not just the BuzzFeed, which Disney princess are you, but there's a ton of them. And in school, we did Myers-Briggs yes. and Strengths Quest and uh, Life Map, and there's a whole, there's a whole host of others. And uh, the one that seems to be on a lot of people's minds right now is called the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you I, taken it? I have. Was you're not really supposed to be uh, taking it. That's okay. really really not the point. Um, and that's that's what makes it a little bit different. But I also think that some people are really losing their minds about the Enneagram. It's unbelievable. And, uh, it, it really is a little cultish. But <laughs> I've never I've never done it. But I okay. Literally, I met with someone the other day, and they immediately spit it out like I knew what they were talking right. about. And I like I know enough that you're 
talking to me about the Enneagram, but I don't know what you just They're said. Like, so I'm being a total six right now, and you're I like, I don't know what that like, means. I'm a, I, in this, per, this girl was like, I'm a, I'm a three wing. So I was like, what? Yeah, right, what just right, right. <laughs> okay, well, you need to you need to educate yourself because okay. I think it's I don't think it's going away, but I do think uh, in some ways maybe maybe the pendulum swung too far. And there's yeah. a uh, a Christian comedian named John Christ, and he actually he posted a video a couple weeks ago about the Enneagram that I think is hilarious, and we're gonna play that audio right now. Listen, I don't listen. I'm I'm always the guy that like people say is like negative about things, and I don't listen. I'm not. It's not my intent to be that guy, but this is long overdue. I'm sorry, but can we discuss the Enneagram, please? If okay, if you don't know what it is, basically it's like uh, it's like a little number system that, in essence, Christians love it. I don't know why, but it's like a number system. All it is to just explain away your terrible personality traits. Listen, I know everyone like loves it, and I get it, and I've read the books and everything, but it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm late for everything. I'm just like, it's because I'm a four. That's what fours do. No, uh, you're a bad person. You're. Let me just say that your Enneagram number is not admissible, admissible, dismissible? It's not admissible in the court of law. Yeah, uh, your, your second-degree murder, I'm a six, that's just what we do. Listen, me and, um, Greg are just not working out. I think it's because he's a four and I'm a seven. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's why. He's definitely liking his ex-girlfriend's Instagram photos. I think that might be it. <laughs> you know why? It's because I'm a four-three wing, not a two-whatever. I don't know. I'm done. I, I'll take it back. People are, like, doing them at the office now. It's not just relationships. I can't work with Janice because she's a seven. No, did you see the ad campaign proposal she submitted? It was awful. That's the reason. I don't know. Like, um, I just, like, gossip a lot. Like, I'm just all in other people's business, like, constantly just loving to be nosy. <laughs> it's summer four. It's summer four. No, just, okay, yeah, but, but then stop. Also, let's be honest, this is not a new concept. I've been taking these quizzes for years. I'm a, um, I'm a lion, he's an owner retriever. It makes sense now. I am, I'm an NAFP, he's an INFJ. What? Same thing. You'll, you'll literally gain about as much knowledge as taking a which friend's character are you quiz. You're going to learn the same thing. Listen, I know in 2019 this is offensive to say, and this is going to sound like a revolutionary idea, but if you have a personality trait that is repeatedly hurting you over and over again in work or relationship just maybe don't just stop doing it i would personally live for the day that some of y'all go down to like a third world country like on a mission trip and try to tell them you can't do something <laughs> hey we're gonna go uh hunt for our own food and then wash our clothes in the river you want to go mm, i tell you what uh, i'm a five and <laughs> That doesn't really fit into my gifting. <laughs> I'll tell you one trait, though, that all the numbers have in common. They all share this together. Uh, extreme narcissism. I'm, I take it back. It was too far. I'm done. Okay, now I'm getting a bunch of texts from friends, like, really ranting and complaining about the Enneagram. A three would do that. I don't know what that means, but maybe it does have some credibility. Maybe. A little. We're just taking it too far, though. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't That's know if you see that or not, but it's I have not. okay. All right, so I want to know just first blush. You don't really know what the enneagram is, but you've certainly seen personality yes. tests. Like, how much of that 
was true for you? How much of that was clearly just a joke? Well, here's the deal. The beauty of comedy is that it cuts close to the truth, right? Right, right. And there was so much in there that I was like, oh, that's good. Here's my problem with personality. I like the I've done uh, – I'm more old school, right? The Myers-Briggs. Right, right. So ESFP, what, what, right? Oh, you are? Every time. I'm taking like four times. Every time the ESFP. We did the disc, which I don't remember what I was and all these stuff. But here's my thing about personality tests. They are wonderful for helping you understand your wiring and helping you understand who you are. They are terrible when you use them as a crutch for either sinful behavior or being a bad person. Right. The whole point is that beyond being this and the Enneagram or this and the Myers-Briggs, you're, you know, you're a follower of Jesus and they're exp- – not expectations. Yeah, expectations. We use that word uh, of how to live. And so he made a funny, funny, great point there. Like don't use this as license to be you know, a bad person or to be an inconsiderate person. I remember one guy telling me, oh, you know, I'm this in the Enneagram. That's why I'm so blunt. I'm like, no, you're just a jerk. Like, just don't be like that. Like, right. that's not a Christ-like way to live. Right. And so when we use these personality tests to justify bad behavior, then, then no, don't do them anymore. When we use them to kind of shed light on who we are and our yes. wiring, I think they're great. So let me just go on record then to say there is a great book. It's called The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stabile. Cool. And that is that has always been, at least as, as far as I've known, the point is not just to take an Enneagram test, which I know plenty of people have. I don't think that's terrible. Um, but it is specific to say this is meant to be sort of a journey of self-discovery and, and keeps it kind of in that camp because what you're saying, I think so often, which by the way, I'm the exact opposite on the Myers-Briggs. Are you really? Ex- every letter. The exact, the exact opposite. But what, really... I, what I find so interesting is that um, when we take these tests and we hyper-categorize people into them, we not only excuse kind of our behavior, but I think we uh, unnecessarily cut the legs out from everybody else. Like, yes. ah, he's just a this or she's just a that. And it needs to be, yeah, this is a, a starting point um, to better understand our wiring and I think mm-hmm. our personality and all all sorts of other things. I actually really love taking these tests and yeah. walking through these journeys. But it does kind of show for me uh, our obsession with hyper-categorizing, particularly those closest to yeah. us, um, sometimes I think with really great motive and sometimes maybe with not so great motive. And so how do we like embrace these things, utilize them, uh, even incorporate them into our conversation. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of tests that show up at community. We'll use to explain briefly or quickly someone's wiring a personality type, yep. but to still use them in a way that elevates other people and makes us better as a team or better yep. as a, a married couple or better as a family. That's and to point kind of us goal. towards Jesus as we know who we are, and then we can make those decisions. I think they're great. Uh, to help us understand ourselves, but not to justify things. Yep, totally agree. Well, coming up next, a black hole was discovered. The first image has been seen, and inside that black hole, you might be surprised to find out <laughs> the band Nickelback is there. So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, friends, we're back. We are. We made it. Yes. We survived the break. 
<laughs> My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. Text us your thoughts at 68683, and then in the message body, CG for Common Good, and then your thought, question, anecdote, pun, riddle, suggestion, any of those things. We survived the break. Where did you go during the break? I sat here in my chair. You went oh, out. Oh, yeah. I went, for, I went for a quick run. I feel <laughs> like we survived the break. Got on a quick run. Yeah, got to gotta stay fit. There you go. Anywho, so uh, some of you probably have heard, my guess is at this point, most everyone has heard about the uh, the first image of a black hole. Yeah. Um, but what I find so fascinating about this, if you haven't actually delved into the story, is that Katie Bowman is the 29-year-old scientist behind the first image of a black hole. That's crazy. And, I again, I'm kind of showing my age a little bit. Anytime I hear anyone doing anything amazing and they're younger than me, mm-hmm. I'm always like, how? How? What am I doing with my life? That's 20. But she's been working on this uh, algorithm for, like, three years and her story of how she kind of uh, she latched onto this is something that her high school teacher had taught her um, to think differently about algorithms. And so it's not only like a really, really tremendous story of yeah. um, the the magnitude of these findings, but also a great story about the importance of like the different touch points of educators in her life mm-hmm. and people that have poured in a little bit here, a little bit there that led to this. Really, really incredible discovery. I don't, have you seen the image, by the way? Have you, I have. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what it is about seeing stuff like that. It just sort of it, – it causes me to step back in awe. Like, I forget the exact ratio, but somebody had commented on the original post and given the ratio of how much bigger this is than our sun, and it was like, you know – it was like six billion times bigger than six our sun. Half, I'm seeing the article. There's six and a half billion times that of a, of the sun. Of our sun, which yes. is in, I, I don't even know how to wrap my brain around. It's that. unbelievable. Like, like he, some I, some of these things you read, it was captured 55 million light years away when one light how? year is equal to six trillion miles. So I mean, there's so much. For me, this story has two cool angles to it. I uh, I was watching a story about it again on the Today Show. You're gonna think all I do is watch the Today Show. Everybody. I already think that. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's two unbelievable angles to this for me. Uh, the first is the story of Katie Bowman, 29 year old scientist. It's been three years in the making. Like you said, people build there. There is a there is a human element to this story that's just amazing. There's like the coolest picture of her, like that was tweeted out uh, with like this uh, kind of look of amazement with the first picture that ever went up was on her screen. Like you're just, it was awesome. Like it was clearly just full of joy. Like oh my gosh. And there's so many learning curves of, or uh, learning points for us from this story uh, from a human element with her. One right there's the perseverance. Like not everything happens in a week. <laughs> like not everything sometimes. Dare I say, spiritual uh, in our spiritual lives, the whole long obedience in the same direction. Dare yeah. I say, she just she just uh, grinded at this, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, there's also that most people probably thought something like this would be discovered by you know a 50 year old guy or somebody else who's been in this for a long time. But you know, there's a college grad student who started this. Now she's 29. Um, there, there's it's just and then you like you said, there's this story of. You know there's going to be a movie made about this girl at some point, and, uh-huh. and I think that movie would probably be littered with stories of the people who have built into her in high this, school. This woman, by the way. What did I say? Girl. Oh, I'm getting myself in trouble from <laughs> that article two weeks ago. Plagues me that you did. I know. Um, there's going to be a story, right, of, of all the people who have built into her life, and it's a wonderful story of um, of n- nothing's ever done in a vacuum, but but along the way – you know, we have teachers and we have 
um, parents and we have community neighbors and all these people who build into our lives and end up coming to a result like this. So I think on the one hand, there is an awesome human element to this story. It's a, a book to be written, a movie to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I think the thing that for me, uh, this is already a field that I don't know anything about because yes. I'm reading just about how long it says it was scanned over a period of 10 days. I, I've scanned a document before. <laughs> yeah. You know, it didn't take 10 days. When you talk about like the distance that it traveled, uh, do you have a hard time like wrapping your brain around some of that stuff? Or I, does- I, I read this story. And in fact, I almost told you that we shouldn't do this story because I or we are going to sound like we have no idea what we're talking we about. We don't, though. <laughs> because when you start talking in terms of light years and trillions and six and a half billion times the sun, and this is what I was going to say, that for me, the one angle is a human story. For me, the other angle is the vastness of creation and like the mind blowing nature of this. And that for those of us who believe in a creator uh, with each one of these discoveries and pictures and the, the fact that we can't get our mind around it, what does it say about our heavenly father who has created these things, yeah. who is greater than these things and who, what does that say about who he is? And, and, and that is where, you know, Louis Giglio always famously is the one who went around the country, uh, basically, um, this was a couple years ago, and these were flying all around. He talked about the intricacies of the human eye and what does that say about God and the intricacies of DNA and then of, of space. And that was all like of it. 15 years ago, by the way. That was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all the same now, right? Uh, now that I'm over 40, everything's like. It's all a wash. <laughs> yep. uh, Might as well have been yesterday. It, it's crazy. And so um, it, it, it just. It gets us again. Like I, I sometimes worry that in my own life and all of our lives, our view of God just shrinks over time, and and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that God is not to either be feared or worshipped, or that we're kind of above Him. And then you read stories like this, and you're like, man, the God who created this and so much more loves me, and man, I and created me. Like this is mind blowing. And friends, if this kind of stuff doesn't point you to your creator and blow your mind, and then you're just not thinking about it. Well, it's so humbling, too, because I can't, I don't know if this is just part of my wiring, I can't see things like this and not think, oh, man, this image will be laughable 10 years from now. That's good. Like, I, yep. I just, like, the more, it's so cool to celebrate now, and yet, like, I sometimes even jealously think, man, what about 150 years from now, yes. after you and I are both gone, like, what new things will we will we be discovering and imaging and you know like even when we look it's not the same at all this is not apples to apples but like we look back on old movies and the graphics yeah. from yeah. just ten years ago we're like holy cow we thought that was great like that to me is like to your point this like ever unfolding sense of awe the more we discover the more that the biggest brains in our world are like how on yes. earth is this possible like. I I don't typically live with that sense of awe. I remember the first time watching those Giglio videos yep. and and just being moved to tears. Yes. And then the next day, I was like, back to worrying about taxes. Yes. And you know what I mean? Like yes. it's that the awe thing. Sometimes I struggle for it to like really take root. So it's really cool. The other thing um, that I want to mention is that the thing that I love about this story is that everyone seems to be celebrating it. Like in a, mm. in, a in an age and era where everyone's got an opinion and some reason to be divided against something, it feels like collectively for like a brief moment in time, we're all saying, oh, that's pretty sweet. Yes. That's pretty incredible. Yep. Like that feels good just as a people, as a culture to say, hey, can we all can we all like put our swords down for a second and just 
maybe to use your word, like marvel and awe, yeah. like even if you're not a Jesus person, this is an incredible feat. Yeah, and then allow it to put you in awe of the creator. And this is why it matters. And this is why it becomes laughable for me when we think that we can explain how God created everything and how everything is wrapped up in a bow. Like these things should blow your mind. And hopefully that doesn't make you go, oh, if I can't understand this, I can't understand God. Because you can't understand God, but we can understand, uh, I guess I should say, you can't understand the vastness of God, but you can understand that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus. And we're heading into Easter. And and Mm -hmm. hopefully things like this, only add to your awe and your worship of God. They don't they don't discourage you in some way. Instead, they go, oh, my goodness, like this is, it's mind-blowing. And now I get to go celebrate Easter in which a Savior came to save me. Like this is all too much for me to comprehend. Right, and, and sometimes I don't know that the goal even is comprehension. That is yes. kind of the point of wonder and awe is to say, this is just other. Yeah. This is so much bigger, and it doesn't have to be a satellite picture of a black hole or a telescopic picture of a black hole. It, it could be a sunset. It could be yes. like turning the phone off and being present with your family, something that I'm not very good at yeah. myself. Like I think wonder and awe comes in both the big and huge and dramatic, but also in the common and the mundane if if we would have eyes to see it. And yeah. I think, man, uh, I I am at my best uh, when I take the time to actually Are you gonna be make, present for that. That's really deep and really good, and now I'm going to take us a complete different direction. You didn't make your joke about what they found in the black hole. I'm not interested in jokes right now. I'm, I'm weepy. Can I'm, I tell you the joke I read on Twitter about this? Sure, please do. They said, uh, oh, no, it was somebody I think on our, I don't know. It was about a story we did the other day. They said, uh, you know what they found in the black hole was all the celebrity pastor's shoes. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. Well, good segue, man. Coming up next, a Washington Post writer leaves the faith, speaks for millions, four responses. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, who just ate a pretzel. So uh, <laughs> I'll talk for him. I got it. No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. You nailed it. Well done. For some reason, since we've started this show, it's like they'll be like, all right, let's start. I'm like, yeah, let's put a pretzel in my mouth. <laughs> Maybe like the most debilitating snack for Maybe anyone just, on the radio. I'm going to bring you know, like a stack of saltines tomorrow. Maybe that'll be the only thing worse. <laughs> Do like a saltine challenge. Exactly. Or they've done the cinnamon challenge. It's oh gross. You've never done it? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I haven't. It's like I've a whole it spoonful, and you got to try to whistle. And uh, I can't whistle anyway. So, but I digress. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But uh, I mentioned this article. It's actually from the Christian Post, but it's about a Washington Post writer who left his faith, and uh, his article was entitled "I'm Not Passing My Parents' Religion Onto My Kids, mm-hmm. But I Am Teaching Their Values." So the guy's name is Jared Bilski, and uh, here's what he writes. He says, I lost faith in my faith. There were too many unanswered questions, too many problematic absolutes, too much fear-mongering, and way too much hypocrisy. For a religion that placed such a premium on loving thy neighbor, it sure had a lot of restrictions on whom you were allowed to love. Mm. So he talks also about uh, some of the clergy abuse um, being kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for him, but how he still intends to raise his kids as quote-unquote spiritual to mm. teach them about different religions and um and he does sort of seem to kind of come back to appreciating some of the foundational values of his faith even though he felt like he uh he walked away entirely so this article by uh, jim dennison from the christian post responds to four of uh of this guy's issues yep. some of his issues i think um maybe some of you have felt before i get into that though um, he mentions a couple of things that I think are a helpful context. Uh, the number of Americans who say they have no religion 
is now at 23.1%, exceeding the number of Catholics, 23%, and Evangelicals, 22.5%. This equates to 58 million nuns, 58 Mm. million people in the United States identify as no faith whatsoever. That's what you mean by none. Right. N-U-N. N-O-N-E-S. And I think as pastors, this is something that, you know, we think a lot about, but Mm -hmm. uh, maybe in general for anyone listening, that's that's a uh, an interesting number and one that seems to be on the rise. And there's lots sorts of other data and stats floating around there. But I want to talk about uh, specifically the the four things that he wants to respond to, the four issues uh, that he raises. The first one is this unanswered questions. Yes. Uh, what do you think about that as an issue from this uh, this Washington Post writer? Unanswered questions, is that something that you run into a lot with people who are struggling through their faith as well, like just in your church personally? I do. I don't know about struggling with their faith, but I do. I'm becoming increasingly aware that people have questions and they don't feel like they have the the um, the permission to ask them. Oh, permission. And Interesting. So um, part of that is, you know, like in a Sunday morning church service, are we giving people a chance to ask? No. And I'm not sure that I want to open that Sunday morning, but where's the venue where they can is right. the question. I think that's why uh, in our church and I think in your church, Explore God was so good back in January yeah. because yes. it gave license to ask questions. Um, and so – I would say on that level, I think he's right on. Like, there's a lot of questions out there. On the other hand, I don't think – I think it's a little bit of a cop-out to say that all of our – not a cop-out might not be the right way to put it, but that all of our questions need to be able to be answered. Um, there's a fine line down the middle here of, like, there is an element of faith, right? You and I talked about uh, – I believe it was earlier we were talking about um, – the it was just last segment we were talking about that black hole that the pictures of the black hole that were taken and we said that when stuff like this happens it just blows our mind and it creates greater awe and we realize there's a lot of things that we can barely comprehend yeah and so then to 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 then say well you know what I don't, not all my questions get answered I'm not sure all of our questions are ever going to get answered so I would say we need to give people venues and and permission to ask questions. While helping them understand, I'm not sure one of the goals of the faith is that every one of your questions is tied up in a bow and answer. Right, right. I think that actually is something that needs to be said not just once either. Absolutely. Building that into your culture, uh, that having questions is a perfectly human thing to have. And I think that's even – not only is it okay, it's actually important to a growing faith. It means you're working your faith Totally. One of the things he says I think is pretty interesting. This writer says, imagine applying this standard of intellectual comprehension to other areas of life. For instance, I hope Bilski doesn't limit his family's health care to the medical options he understands personally, yeah. which makes sense. That has a little bit of an air of like the clergy then are meant to be experts. Just yeah. trust us. And I yeah. don't know that I love that. Uh, but in general, creating cultures, and that's one of the things I love about communities. We, we, we're regularly saying I mean, this is a safe place to journey and to ask questions. It's why we talk about alpha all the time. We yes. run alpha programs all the time, and it's, it's all built around this idea of just bring whatever – crazy question that you have that you've maybe never said out loud, which uh, I think is so helpful. It's why it unnerves some people. But one thing I like, you and I both often say that we'll tell people, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know all the right. answers because we don't want to be like the goal is to have all the answers. I'm not sure that's the goal. Yeah. Okay. So issue number two, hypocrisy in the church, which is a big one. Yes. And uh, I can totally understand that. He does say, though, however, uh, isn't rejecting the church because of the failings of some Christians akin to rejecting education because of the failures of some teachers or medical care because of the abuses of some doctors? Again, I don't know that this 
totally gets to the sensitivity that the Washington Post writer Bilski was getting at because sometimes it's, it's much deeper, much more profound mm-hmm. than just, oh, I made a mistake. It's like systemic abuses mm-hmm. and like I can so I can certainly understand someone having a hard time with that. But uh, as, as we've said a couple of times, man, um, if you're a perfect person, um, you know, that you don't need church then. And if you're looking for a perfect church, if you find a perfect church, don't go because we'd all ruin it. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> yes. what I mean? like it's that's not an excuse for hypocrisy. But I do want to I do want to at least say out loud that I think um, churches need to pay attention to this kind of um, inconsistent behavior. We're not even just owning mistakes. I think yeah. that's one of the best ways to combat this 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 perceived image of hypocrisy is when we pretend that we we didn't actually make a mistake or yeah. everything's all right. And I think owning that is really, really important. And I just think, you know what? I've gotten to the point where, yeah, we want to try to help people not be hypocrites. Uh, but if if any any hypocrisy in the church is going to be an end-all for you, okay, because there's going to be hypocrisy in the church. We don't want to make that okay, like, oh, it's going to be there. It's okay. No, we want to fight against it and try to you know, lessen it. But like you said, we're all sinners and fallen, and there's going to be hypocrisy in the church, just as there's going to be hypocrisy in each one of our individual lives. Yeah, which I think is, uh, gosh, it's so much more complicated than that, too, because anything with people is going to be messy, yep. right? And that's why I think a lot of people walked away from the church, because it, it just felt too messy. Third thing he goes after is, you know, part of the quote I read earlier, restrictions on whom you were allowed to love. What do you think about this one? This is a hard one, man, because it also goes with his next one. More of that one, the restrictions on whom you are allowed to love. Um, I, I with him on this one. Like, as believers, we should be loving. (laughs) We should be loving everybody. Jesus says, "Love your neighbor, love your enemies, love you know, pray for those who persecute you." Uh, So there should be, as followers of Jesus, no restrictions on who you can love. I don't think that's what he means, though. Um, and so, you know, if he's wanting to have a conversation about, you know, I don't know what he's wanting to have a conversation. It's a little vague. And so I would say that there are things in the Bible to wrestle with, whether it be about homosexuality or other things that if he's saying, well, a restriction there is reason to throw all of this out. I I don't know. That's, that's worth the debate. We got to open up God's word and say, what does it say here? If what he's saying is Christians don't love everybody the same and don't show the love of Christ to everybody, well, then that's a problem. And he's right. They should absolutely Christ followers should should be showing love to uh, people of other religions, to people of other political persuasion of whatever else. Yes, we are called to love. All right. So the last one, morality without God. Bilski believes that he can pass along the morality he learned from his mother without Attending our church, this is where we can be good without God claim starts. It's a, such a significant issue that I'll devote tomorrow's article to it, he says. But he unpacks a little bit further later. And I think, um, again, maybe this is nitpicky, but I know that plenty of people, uh, like at the church that I pastored for 10 years in Bartlett, um, there were a lot of people that actually came to faith simply because their kid was a part of the preschool that we ran out of the, out of the, uh, the basement of the church. So it was like... I don't know that I believe all this Jesus stuff, but I want my kids to have a good foundation. Yes. That desire to have a good foundation actually ultimately led them to yeah. salvation. Yeah. And I thought, man, what a what a brilliant what a brilliant model that is to say, hey, you don't have to have all your ducks in a row theologically, um, but you know, for them to have a sense of and I think having kids kinda elevates that Absolutely. a little bit like I don't buy any of that, but man, I want my kids to have a good foundation. I'm not as much a stickler here, I think. All right, if you want to start with the values of Jesus, get in the door. Keep yeah. doing that, and I, I'm pretty confident you're going to fall in love with Jesus. Yeah, because it doesn't just stop with his ideas. And something that comes out at Easter time that we're about to celebrate here, right, is, and this quote probably needs some more fleshing out, is 
is this. Uh, can you be, uh, did Jesus come to make bad people good? No. Jesus didn't come so that people would be more moral. It's a fruit of it, of following Jesus, hopefully. But can you, my point is, can you have morality apart from God? Yeah, you can. You know, you can be a good person without uh, following Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And I didn't make that quote up, right? That's uh, long ago. And and that's what we have to help people understand eventually. Like, we are all sinners. We're all bad. You might do more good things than me. That's not the point. Morality is not ultimately the point here. So he's right. Can you have morality apart from God? Yeah. Um, but that's not ultimately the point. I, I smell a future segment coming because it feels like you're squarely in the original sin camp, and I think I might disagree with that. I look forward to this in conversation. General, <laughs> I, yeah, I, that, that might be a fun conversation for us to have, but our our producer Josh is waving his finger <laughs> telling me I got to wrap it up. Or so maybe I guess he's scared by the conversation. That's also why he's like, no, please don't have this no, conversation. No, 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 no. Well, this will either be fun or terrifying. Coming up next, uh, Brian and I are going to ask each other, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and we're both eating snacks now. So I'm out. I'm clear. You are? I'm done. Oh, well, then I'm at fault then. My bad. <laughs> Not pretzels, but goldfish. Anyway, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. You can also uh, text us any questions you have. 68683 is the number. Put CG for Common Good followed by your comment, your question, your suggestion. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And this is a question actually that... Uh, a couple of people have asked us in one way, shape, or form to go after, which I don't know if I should be honored or terrified, but they were wondering, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? Yep. And so we thought, okay, that's actually maybe a pretty interesting question, and we've not done a lot of prep for this, so this is going to be a, a real kind of raw response. We don't have yep. manuscripts in front of us of like five really wise things that all start with the letter L <laughs> about what we tell ourselves, but uh, Brian, I'll let, you, I'll let you kick it off. What would you tell... Your 21-year-old self. Uh, so I think the first thing I would tell uh, my 21-year-old self is to uh, live in the moment hmm. and enjoy the moment because uh, I think we get something about our culture where we're always thinking about what's next. And I think uh, it's about that age of 21 where you start doing that, right? Everyone's asking you, what are you going to do when you're getting out of college? What are you going to do? And it's always about what's coming next. Uh, and, and life just goes really fast. And I think we get into a really dangerous spot because there's cool things going on right now. You're enjoying life. You know, maybe you're, uh, you know, you're getting married or you're dating or whatever else. There's, there's something cool about that. You're just starting off and you're always thinking about like, where will I be five years from now? And then you get those five years and it's like, where will I be five years from now from there? And one, you're not promised five years from now, but two, I think we just lose out on so much by, by not allowing ourselves to enjoy the moment, just if I can, not even 21-year-old self, I think that becomes the problem with the rest of life because, yeah. you know, your kid is a baby and you're like, I can't wait till they can walk. Your kid can walk. It's I can't wait till they go to school. They go to school. I can't wait till they're this. And you just keep going and all of a sudden your kids got, like moved out and you're yeah. like, what, what did I just miss? Right. And lastly on this one, I think churches are terrible at doing this. And uh. um, I think this is something I'm just learning we always in churches, not always, but we so often in churches talk about what, what's the what's our big word we always use is vision. What's your five year vision? 
And that's super important. That's really important. Where are we heading? But I feel like it's always about what's the next hill we are going to take. And it's not like let's enjoy what God is doing now. Yeah. While yeah. still moving towards something. Yeah. But it's always about who are the next people? What is the next initiative? What is next? And I just think that's across the board. It's churches. It's personal lives. It's all this. So I, if I could go back, and I'm trying to get this into my kids now, um, enjoy the moment, savor what's going on. Like this moment will not last. Like what's going on now, it won't always be like this. So enjoy it while making plans for the future, while studying. And so I feel like at about the age of 21, I was engaged, about to graduate college, and it all became about what's my future look like. And if it's always about the future, then you're never going to enjoy the present. And I, I'm going to start existential like you, but I think there's also some really practical things I would tell yep. 21-year-old me, like, hey, watch less TV, read more books. That's good. Prioritize fitness. Like, that's maybe a little lower down the rung, but I think uh, in, you know, kind of piggybacking off of the be present thing, uh, I think a one for me would be to prioritize the most important things, to not let good things become the enemy of mm. best things. Yep. Um, and I think one of the things that I've struggled with in most of my adult years is to really prioritize the most important people in my life. Mm. I think sometimes the subtext is, ah, they'll forgive me, or they're always going to be there. Or And I think, well, you know, the last 15 years, I've, I've really made some mistakes to not articulate, to not make time for, to not, you know, to use your word, be really fully present. Yes. Um, or to even give an option to be present, right, and just run in a million miles a minute. I think buying into the belief that I'll do that next week when it's, yes. quote, less crazy. You know what I found out? Next week's also crazy. Yes. You know why? Because I set that calendar too. Like some it's of good. those patterns of overdoing it, of uh, forcing way too much stuff into too short a time, um, those weren't just symptoms of a season for me. Yeah. It's part of my wiring that I've had to really combat. And it's one thing, you know, and having recently become a father, um, I felt way more freedom to sacrifice myself for the result of mm -hmm. uh, whatever I was doing. But there's a whole new elevation now. Like, I mean, I have a, a wife and kids that when I'm not prioritizing th these things well, it doesn't just affect me anymore. And I don't know that 21-year-old Ian really understood that. Right. You're setting up patterns now that you'll eventually carry into your marriage Absolutely. and you'll carry into fatherhood. And you don't just magically get better at these things because you have a ring on your finger mm -hmm. or you've, you've got a couple of kids at home. Like, Wherever you go, there you are. You know uh, that has been that's been super humbling. That was really good and existential. That was really good. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, what else? What else would you tell twenty-one-year-old Brian? And I'm gonna I'm gonna look back at where I was at twenty-one, and I would say this: uh, I wish I had more prioritized or taken advantage of the flexibility I had in life and huh. and focused more on experience. Um, so. Uh, my wife and I, we got married at 22. So that's a difference between you and I. We got married really young. Yeah, and I was more like 32. Yeah, and so even 21, 22, 23, uh, we had our first child at 26. And I get all of that's pretty young for nowadays, but there was a season before we were married and after we were married where there was just a lot more flexibility, right? You could go do stuff. You could take a weekend trip. Or I think about the stories you tell that you just couldn't do now, right? Yesterday you yeah. told the story uh, of – of literally, and we still haven't totally fleshed this story out. We've got to do it sometime. <laughs> where you got on a plane and flew to Philadelphia and lived like a homeless person for a couple of days or a weekend, yeah, a, week, or so, yeah. a week. A week, yeah. You can't do that now with two kids no. and a job. Like, no. you just can't do that. Uh, or vacations, like getting away. My wife and I remember we used to be able to get away for weekends. And you can get into this rat race from at an early age. And I would say enjoy the flexibility that comes with your early 20s because at some point – 
you're going to lose some flexibility. And I, that's not true for everybody. It was true for me, and I think generally speaking, that's true. So I would say, uh, as much as you need to start, you know, your 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 career, and you need to you need to work hard and all that stuff. Don't lose sight of the fact that at the age of 21, 22, you've probably got some flexibility that you very well may not have later in life. Yeah. Uh, so if I could go back to myself, I'd say, hey. Uh, don't waste so many nights, like you said, just watching TV or going to the same restaurant or doing this, but like, like dive in and, and like you said, be present and, and experience some things that you will not be able to probably later in life. That's good, man. Some of the other ones that kind of just come to my mind while I'm listening to you talk again, feel anecdotal or smaller, but things like making gratitude a higher priority, Mm -hmm. uh, writing things down, uh, leaning into my strengths rather than quote unquote, trying to always be well balanced. You know, I think if I'd learned that earlier, uh, I think laughing more, not taking myself so seriously sometimes. I think having the big picture in mind, having the courage to dream bigger. Um, I think a lot of times I, I, I come across like I don't have fears and worries about the yep. future, but a lot of my decisions were made because of that. Um, but also like I, it's something that's become like a pretty common, um, pretty hopefully consistent prayer in my life now is God help me to better see the ways that you're at work right here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was Richard Rohr who said, um, uh, what's lacking is our awareness, not God's presence. Mm. God's presence is not what's lacking. That's what's good. lacking is our awareness. And so like, God help me to better see how you're moving and stirring rather than feeling like I need to somehow like conjure God to come join me in the thing I'm doing to step back and say, God, what are you already doing? Yeah in these relationships and in this current job and in this current geography, help me to better see what it is you're doing. I think that inversion would have helped me. Honestly, I think it would have been better with time management and Mm -hmm. finances and vision casting and leading and being a better friend and being a better family member. And, you know, I think a lot of those things are are kind of interconnected, especially to the previous thing about priority, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like the buttons on your shirt. If you get the first button wrong, like the rest (laughs) of the buttons are all going to be off, which is part of why I think God says so many times, like, put me first. Yeah. Not just because like I'm a, I'm really selfish, but because when you get that out of whack, the rest of the stuff's out of whack too. And, uh, that just that idea, it's so easy for us to forget that. Pastors are bad at this sometimes too. Sometimes maybe you feel this. The assumption is, well, you're a pastor. So you're, you probably start every day with four hours of prayer. Yes. And you always are putting God first. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, I'm inverting that order all the time to an embarrassing degree. Yep. And like making yep. that a higher priority when I was 21, I think would have been really, really That's helpful. That's good. That's good. One more I could think of. And truthfully, this didn't have a lot to do with where I was at 21 because I was working at a church. But I do know from being an old youth pastor, people who get out of college, that's the age where you either dig your roots into a church or you kind of stop getting in the habit of going to church, right? You're kind of on your own. And so I'd encourage any tw- early 20 people out there, get involved in a church, even though it might feel a little weird. Allow older people to build into you, get into that habit of being part of a community of God, not just a singles group or a young adult group, but like get into a church. You have so much to offer the church and the church has so much to offer you as kind of your launching into adulthood. So uh, I would encourage those of you of that age, uh, be be involved in a church, even if it feels a little awkward at times. Yep. And it's, and life is better together, right? Yes. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that is part and parcel with everything you're saying. And honestly, this is pretty disconnected. But the other thing that popped into my mind was like, don't be afraid to just admit that you're wrong. Yes. Like I, 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 man, so many times my response was defensiveness and having to prove that I was like qualified or smart yeah. enough or whatever. Like just being willing to say, I don't know. 
be willing to quickly say, I apologize, I was wrong. Like Those are the types of things I wish I had learned to do Absolutely. earlier and more consistently because I think I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. <laughs> well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane, as Brian often says, with some ridiculousness, some interweb insanity that our producers have chosen for us. We have not read them, so we're going to read them sight unseen with you, our friends, right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. That little jam can only mean one thing. Kick. Time to do it. <laughs> End of the show. So what you were trying to not say <laughs> was kickers. And I don't know I don't know why we're not allowed to call them kickers. I'm going to use the word kickers now as often as I possibly we're can. We're going to back to Curtin here. <laughs> that on our rundowns, it says kickers, and we've been told not to call them kickers. And I just said kick and then stopped and said, let's do them. <laughs> I want that as my ringtone. You're just going, kick, let's do them. And then you called me out. <laughs> no, but then I said the word, I'm joining you. This is, now we're commiserating. Now we, we are. We both called them that. That was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever said in the three months of radio. Kick, kick let's do them. <laughs> All right, if you have no idea what we're talking about, at the end of every show, uh, our producers pick a couple of stories that is just interweb insanity. We've not seen them, and uh, we read them sight unseen. And hopefully you enjoy them. Some of them are darker than usual, so yes. just just bear with us. We'd love to talk to you, though. And if you have any issues or suggestions for kickers, send them our way. Uh, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, we're podcasted. And uh, if this segment makes you so piping hot angry, text us at 68683. Yep. And then in the message body, CG, and then uh, your comment or complaint the or first criticism. time anyone ever yelled at us or called to, or texted in order to complain, it was over one of these sto- crazy stories. That is true. Well, in light of that, why don't you kick us off? Oklahoma, man arrested after allegedly trying to hide propane, t- propane tank down his pants at Walmart. <laughs> Oh, man. A man was arrested on larceny charges after he tried to steal several items from a Walmart store, including a small propane tank that he allegedly tried to hide down his pants. <laughs> According to the police report, this guy tried to steal a knife, a, which I'm glad he didn't hide down his pants, oh, a gosh. propane tank regulator, a propane tank, and a pack of T-shirts. He allegedly tried to hide the small propane tank down his pants. He was not successful. <laughs> I sell propane and propane accessories. It's weird that when you read the regulator, my, the, my first thought was, well, at least he got the regulator. <laughs> He's being responsible. All right, Wisconsin. 22 minutes after driving off lot, bursting into flames, woman says dealership won't provide oh, refund no. for SUV. Oh, an SUV went up in flames 22 minutes after it was driven off a used car lot in Milwaukee. The driver, uh, the driver saved for nearly two years, and she's worried she'll never get that money back. Oh, no. Oh, no. Images from the incident serve as a haunting reminder of Nicole Brandt's near-death experience on April 3rd. Wow. I haven't been able to drive since then, said Brandt, on Monday, April 8th. I think we should get Brandt some money. Let's rally. 2900 bucks. Right? Let's rally around Nicole Brandt and get her an SUV back. Can you name the truck with four-wheel drive? Smells like a steak and seats 35. Can you narrow? Can you narrow? The Federal Highway Commission has ruled the Canyonero unsafe for highway or city driving. Canyonero. We mentioned we didn't pick these or the drops. Florida. <laughs> Florida man threatens to destroy everyone. With an army of turtles. Oh, my. These are getting weirder. A Florida man is ready to wreak havoc on the planet, and he's bringing some friends to help. (laughs) Very small, slow-moving friends. 
This guy, Thomas Lane, was arrested for causing a disturbance while threatening to, quote, destroy everyone with an army of turtles. Police apprehended Lane and escorted him to department headquarters where he began yelling at the dispatcher and pounding on the wall of glass. He went to a nearby 7-Eleven. It was there he harassed employees saying, I need to leave now or you'll all be sorry. And he chose going to destroy the world with turtles. Oh, boy. Come save me from the wee turtles. They were too quick for me. I think that's a family guy. I think I'm maybe not supposed to admit on the air that I know what that is. But uh, <laughs> all right, Tennessee. Tennessee woman stole Walmart scooter to drive to Waffle House. Sure. That's maybe my favorite sentence I've read in a long time. <laughs> a woman was arrested in Crossville, Tennessee, after allegedly riding an electric shopping scooter from Walmart to Waffle House. Crossville police said 45-year-old Sally Selby was charged with theft after officers pulled her over driving in the slow lane on Main Street in that town. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one, man. Oregon. Deputies surround burglar in Oregon home. Find out suspect is Roomba trapped in the bathroom. Oh, gosh. I don't, what's a Roomba? Is that like that vacuum? Yeah, oh, a little vacuum They got a call thing. saying there's a burglary in process at an Oregon, in progress at an Oregon woman's home. Ended up catching the culprit, a robotic vacuum that was trapped in her bathroom. The initial call came in from someone reporting that a stranger was in her bathroom and that the person had the bathroom door locked. She said she could see shadows moving under the door. Within oh minutes, God. everyone was there calling a canine team as backup. They could hear rustling noise coming from the bathroom. After calling to the, quote, suspect several times over a loudspeaker, <laughs> deputies went into the home with their guns drawn. After opening the bathroom door, deputies say they found an automated robot vacuum crashing around on the floor. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever. <laughs> I feel like we've used that one before, That's and I'm good. not even angry. <laughs> That's good. Good day, man. You know, that's never a dull moment. We hope that you will join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m., or you can find us on the podcast. Uh, we have a, fu- a lot of fun doing this, and we hope that you'll interact with us on Facebook, online, or anywhere else that you can get your podcast. My name is Ian, along with Brian Fromm, on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.